Hi, I'm Amanda Johnson, and this is According to Amanda. Welcome back to the pod, everybody. This week, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. So that decision was made a few weeks ago, and I've been wanting to talk about it since. However, I wanted to firstly give myself time to get my thoughts together, and also I wanted to actually feel like I was educated on the subject, and I am by no means an expert at all, but some of the details of it I didn't know or didn't really understand, so I thought that maybe it would be helpful if I shared some of it. Um, I know there's also a lot of talk in social media and stuff but my fear with this was kind of like similar to what was happening with the black lives movement a lot of people just like will post on social media once for one day when it's important to seem like you're socially aware of what's going on and then it kind of just fades into the background and so although there are still plenty of people still talking about it and educating each other and fighting against it. Um, I've definitely noticed kind of that shift on social media where, you know, you don't see everybody posting about it, therefore you don't really have to either. Um, And so I just, I want to feel like I'm doing more about it. So my goal for this is that maybe it educates you a little bit or It's just a proponent of continuing the conversation about why this topic matters. So firstly, I wanted to kind of explain what Roe v. Wade actually is, because obviously you hear the name attached to the situation that's going on, but I kind of thought there might be some people that don't really know what it is or just don't know all the details about it. So basically, Roe v. Wade was the court case that eventually caused abortions to be legal in the United States. So Jane Roe was the plaintiff and she was seeking the Supreme Court for an abortion because they were still illegal in the United States and she wanted to enter pregnancy due to economic hardships. And at that time, that was not um, a reason for doctors to be willing to give you an abortion. The only reason you could possibly get one was for the safety of the mother. And then Henry Wade was the district attorney of the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court is basically made up of nine judges. um, And at the time, it was a seven versus two for the conservatives. So it was a conservative Supreme Court. Um, And Jane Rowe's lawyer was a 26-year-old female lawyer, um, and she fought to make it a constitutional right that women could choose to end a pregnancy within the first two trimesters, and the state can decide if an abortion can be performed in the third trimester unless necessary to preserve the woman's health. And then that was the bill that was passed and ultimately led to abortion being legal in all states in the U.S., So this was a pretty substantial accomplishment for women. I think that the women that were involved, um, whether it be the lawyer or Jane Roe, the plaintiff, or, you know, any of the other women that were sporting the case, because there were many, um, they 
all kind of knew that this wasn't solely just about the right to choose. It was also about women gaining freedom and the constitutional right um, that women should be in charge of their body and their life and what happens to them. But unfortunately, uh, 2022 is not the first time that Roe v. Wade has been questioned or there's been an attempt to overturn the bill. Um, I guess kind of since its inception, uh, there were people that were not happy about it, obviously. um, And it caused a lot of controversy and I guess issues to a lot more people than were probably necessary. Um, Obviously, I heard a lot about kind of the Planned Parenthood um, and stuff that would kind of happen there. A lot of people kind of just assumed or still assume that um, Planned Parenthood is just an abortion clinic, but they really do a lot more than that. Um, they also provide like access to birth control, SDI testing, um, specifically for a low income people that cannot afford to get that um, or like those medical resources elsewhere. Um, and also the biggest issue kind of with Planned Parenthood was a lot of people believe that defunding Planned Parenthood meant defunding abortions. Um, but there was no tax dollars that actually ever went towards those abortions. Um, So tax dollars were never funding abortions in the first place within the clinics. It was something that it it was a little unclear from the research that I did, but I think that was just kind of, they funded it themselves within the business. Um, But there was also, you know, constant protests outside of Planned Parenthood clinics um, and a lot of times held by, you know, pro, life Christians with like children there, very graphic signs and posters. And it really just caused more damage to the people that were going in to get these services done. Because like, imagine you're like making one of the hardest decisions of your entire life. And you're like walking through this large group of people, like threatening to kill you for choices you're making about your own life. And, like, I just can't even imagine the mental harm that would cause to somebody. Um, And also, there's a lot of kind of stories or reports, I guess, about bombings that happened at abortion clinics or Planned Parenthood clinics, um, doctor's clinics that were suspected of doing underground abortions or even legal abortions after Roe v. Wade was passed um, and also shootings inside. Like it was a very, very dangerous place to be. This then brought on the Casey versus Planned Parenthood case, um, which the whole purpose of this case was, again, the Supreme Court and the district attorney trying to overturn Roe. But it they did not succeed in doing that. However, they were able to reformulate the bill. So it had an undue burden standard, which I'm not really sure what that means. But basically, women still had the right to an abortion within the first and second trimester. But states can take whatever effort they choose necessary to persuade a woman to keep a child, but they cannot prevent abortions. So basically, they can take any measure to cause roadblocks to prevent it, but they cannot stop they cannot physically stop a woman from getting it, essentially. So services are available, but I know they had given some examples that in clinics, um, right before you're about to get an abortion, you have to have an ultrasound done where 
you see the baby and you hear the heartbeat if it's far enough along. Um, and that was kind of one of their tactics to kind of, in their minds, weaken women's ability to make this decision. One of the main arguments uh, as to why abortions should be illegal um, is primarily by pro-life Christians that believe a child is a child at the time of conception. So the minute you become pregnant with a child, that is a life and therefore they should not be taken away. So during these protests outside of Planned Parenthood, a lot of the protests had to do with late-term abortions. And so late-term abortions would be anything within the third trimester. Um, I guess maybe also the second trimester, technically, but usually it's after you can hear a heartbeat. Um, but primarily the argument is within the third trimester when a child is essentially fully formed. Um, and some statistics that I found very interesting are that 88.7% of all abortions happen within the first 8 to 12 weeks. So that, for context, is pretty much before you're even showing that you're pregnant. Um, and I believe 12 weeks is around when you can hear the heartbeat through an ultrasound. Um, and then 10% of abortions happen within 13 to 20 weeks of pregnancy, and only 1% happen after 21 weeks, when this is the area that we spend the most time talking about. So most people believe that late-term abortions should not be should not be allowed unless medically necessary, but I think most normal people would agree with that. You know, nobody's going around at, you know, 35 weeks pregnant being like, mm, I don't know anymore. There's obviously a reason there. So I think that's a little bit ridiculous that people are saying that th because you should not get an abortion that late in your pregnancy, that therefore you should not be able to get one period. So I believe the Supreme Court made the decision to overturn Roe v. Roe v. Wade on June 24th, so about a month ago now, um, and basically the Supreme Court decision allows the states to regulate themselves whether they can choose to provide abortions or not. So many of the states, I think it's about half of the states in the U.S. also had trigger laws, which basically were laws in place within the state already that if Roe v. Wade was ever overturned, these laws would immediately come into effect. So there would be no waiting period, of essentially, of the states creating their own law and passing it. Um, so basically, the minute the Supreme Court made the decision, these laws would come into effect. Um, and so there are currently... 26 states that have or are likely to ban abortion. And these states include Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Utah, Arizona, Iowa, Missouri, Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Florida, and Texas. That means that in these 26 states, it is illegal 
to get an abortion at any point in your pregnancy unless a doctor decides that it's medically necessary. And so that sounds great. If it's medically necessary for you to get an abortion, you have access to that. But that takes away the right to any woman that became pregnant unwillingly. If a woman was sexually assaulted or raped and became pregnant, she cannot get an abortion. It would only be in the case that your life is at stake. And additionally, doctors that do perform abortions for the life of the mother can also be, I guess, kind of judged as to if it was actually necessary that they did that and if the courts decide that there could have been other life-saving actions taken other than an abortion, the doctor can lose their license. So there are a lot of doctors that are not willing to perform an abortion, even if it's at the benefit for the mother, in fear that they're going to lose their license. So essentially, the only way for women in the U.S. to receive an abortion is to go to a legal state. That's Pretty easy, actually. If you are a white woman, if you're a woman that comes from money, if you are established, but if you're part of a marginalized community, an underrepresented community, and you don't have the financial means to travel out of state, if you can't take time off work to travel out of state, if you can't find childcare to travel out of state, it's not possible. And a lot of these areas, specifically down in the South, um, say they're, you're in an illegal state, it's also not like the next state over to you would be a legal state where you can go and get it. Like you're completely blocked 360 by every state around you. And so the distance you'd have to travel is actually really, really far. Um, and so also for people that are in life-threatening pregnancies, um, I had listened to a podcast where there was a woman, she had two or three children I believe already and she was she got she had gotten pregnant willingly and then her pregnancy resulted in her developing blood clots in her brain and basically her pregnancy had gone septic she was going to die if she did not have an abortion and her doctor told her that he felt that the likelihood of her actually dying was too low for him to be willing to perform an abortion right now. So her options are roll the dice and see if you're going to die keeping this child or travel out of state to get an abortion. But she's too sick to travel out of state. She has the financial means. She could if she wanted to, but she's like bedridden in a hospital for having blood clots and this doctor won't perform an abortion out of fear that he's going to lose his license. So. I mean, obviously, I do sympathize with the doctors in that position. A lot of them, it's not that they don't want to do it. It's genuinely just the fear of losing their career. Um, but, you know, that's also a fear for women pregnant that don't want to be. Um, so it's definitely a very tricky playing field right now. And it's in extremely unfortunate because banning abortions does not mean that they're not going to happen anymore. There will always be a need for women to receive an abortion for whatever reason they choose. And 
this is going to cause a lot of women to die because of either choosing to commit suicide because they feel like that's their only option to not carry out this pregnancy, performing at-home or illegal abortions on themselves, or having unqualified doctors doing it for them. It's it's just mind-blowing that this is a decision that five people were actually able to make. Luckily, since this decision has been made, there are a lot of companies that have come forward saying that they are willing to covering travel costs for their employees who may require an abortion. Um, and so some of these companies include Microsoft, Apple, Meta, Yelp, Disney, Uber, Netflix, Bumble, Match Group, Levi's, NBC Universal, Warner Brothers, Condé Nast, JP Morgan Chase, Nike, Starbucks, Dick Sporting Goods, Kroger, Alaska Airlines, Goldman Sachs, Zillow, HP, Accenture, and Chobani. So these resources are extremely helpful to women that may require them. And I have the utmost respect for these companies coming out against the Supreme Court and basically them saying this is something we believe in. Our female employees have the right to make this decision for themselves. Therefore, we're going to help them get access to these resources. But again, you also need to think of the companies on that list. If you're working for one of these companies, more likely than not, you're a university-educated woman. You're a white woman. It's just statistical facts about you know, that kind of industry. And again, it's leaving out kind of the scope for Black women, Hispanic women, even Asian women, like women of marginalized communities that like don't have these resources or act even access to these resources at all. And I mean, that's another issue with systemic racism and, and the, it's a bigger issue that needs to be fixed. But this is also something that really does affect these women significantly. I do have some book, movie, podcast recommendations that I wanted to discuss. Um, that was something I wanted to continue doing on the pod. And I had some resources that I thought um, were very applicable to this topic. So the first recommendation I have um, is a movie called Reversing Row. It's a Netflix documentary and it's basically covers the history of abortions in the U.S. and Roe v. Wade and how that came about. Um, and it's it's kind of positioned that um, it was a strategic move by the Republican Party um, and it goes into the pro-life Christians quite a bit. Uh, it does have a strong religious focus I'll say but what I did like about the documentary was I felt like it kind of tried to play to both sides it kind of gave you both sides of the argument and it was kind of like do that do with that what you will and so I think on a topic that can be so polarizing is this uh I I did really enjoy that and I thought it was well done um in regards to the pro-life Christians um I I did find you know that sort of angle to it important because 
I think the main reason that Roe v. Wade was overturned was due to religious beliefs that, you know, in the Christian religion, it's sin to get an abortion. Um, And, you know, I completely understand alternative opinions. uh, And, you know, Christians are fully entitled to believe that getting an abortion is sinful because a child is created at conception. That's fine. What I don't like is that I feel as though that religious perspective is being forced upon other people. Um, And so, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff on social media of people from other religions saying, you know, even my religion allows abortions up until this point. Or as a Jewish woman who is allowed to get an abortion within my religion, why are you forcing your religious beliefs onto me? And it's a little ironic because Christians seem to be the first that dislike other people's religious beliefs being forced on them the most. Um, But I, I thought the documentary was interesting and it kind of talked about how the first clinic where you could receive an abortion was run by a clergy in New York. Um, and that, you know, kind of set off the Catholic church, but a lot of Catholic priests and nuns were involved in helping women receive underground abortions. Um, so it's a, it's a little ironic all of a sudden. Well, I guess not all of a sudden that's a poor choice of words, but that, you know, this is such a polarizing issue that at the end of the day does come down to, you know, people's religious beliefs. I also wanted to recommend two podcasts, both um, done by the New York Daily. Um, I really like this podcast. I got into it uh, probably about two years ago. I would listen to it in the morning. They're about 20-minute episodes. Uh, it, it does have a strong U.S. emphasis, um, but it's like U.S. and global news. Um, and I've liked listening to it. It's It can have extremely heavy topics, but at the end of the day, I think it's like still important to know about it and know what's going on. Um, but the two podcasts I wanted to recommend was the new U.S. abortion map, which basically kind of goes into those trigger laws a little bit more. Um, and it's kind of, I think it was recorded like immediately after the decision was made. And it kind of goes into like, what are the logistics of what this law now means? And how is it actually going to affect people? Um, so it's, very it's very factually based like it's kind of just this is kind of the reality of it um and the other one that i had is inside for abortion clinics the day row ended um this podcast made me extremely emotional um it's very difficult to listen to but it's basically the stories of four women who work in an abortion care clinic um across the u.s who were forced to shut down and call their patients to tell them they would no longer be able to perform an abortion because roe v wade was overturned and you listen to the phone calls of, you know, the four women, it, just them explaining, like, what they had to tell these patients for why they couldn't help them anymore. Like, it, it's doctors being like, I woke up the morning of thinking I was going to work and, 
it was just quiet in the clinic and they had to call back all of these young women to say, I'm sorry, I can't help you anymore. Um, and the one that hurt me the most was a grandmother was calling for her. I think she was maybe four, 12 or 14, but her granddaughter was sexually assaulted by a family member is pregnant and she called to get her granddaughter an abortion and they had to say we're sorry we can't help you anymore and the grandmother just like broke down and was like how how do i help my grandchild you know like it's just it's sad to see that like how much this is already affecting people and like the pain it's causing to families and stuff but um even though it was difficult difficult to listen to I still think it was really important to hear and I think it'll cause a lot of people to think and the last recommendation I had is a book called looking for Jane by Heather Marshall um, my friend gave me this book to read and I absolutely loved it I thought it was so well written it was extremely educational and interesting it basically covers from like the 1960s to like the 2010s in Canada and the experience of a young woman who gets pregnant and has to go to an unwed mother's home and, you know, the history of those in Canada and the abuse she endured there, um, which ultimately pushed her to become a doctor. And she helped tons of women receive underground abortions through her clinic. Um, and basically for the whole purpose of she... She didn't have a choice and she wanted to make sure that no woman was ever going to feel like she wasn't going to have a choice again. And she was a huge catalyst to um, the legalization of abortions in Canada. Um, and it's not as much, um, you know, this was kind of in the author's notes at the end. Like, it's not a book about abortion. It's a book about motherhood whether that's choosing to be a mother, not choosing to be a mother, when's the right time for you to be a mother. Um, and and I thought it was a, did a really good job at kind of explaining the dangers of unsafe abortion um, and, and, you know, the line of there's always going to be a need for abortions came from that book. And uh, I, I just really recommend that everybody reads it. Um, I thought it did a great job at kind of making me think about if this is what was happening then in the state of the world where abortions were not legal, what makes anything different now? So I guess that's kind of it for this episode. I hope it was helpful to some, interesting to some, um, otherwise at least just felt good for me to kind of talk about it and get feel like I was getting that weight lifted off of my chest. Um, I encourage everybody to, you know, do your own research, educate yourself on this because this issue, like, it's not going away. There's a lot of work that's going to need to be done and a lot of fighting. And I, I think my main thing after I heard about this was I kind of felt like there's nothing I can do to change this or help this situation at all. And and after having conversations with people, I I realized, like, no, having a voice is something. Talking about it is something. Educating people is something. Um, I also really 
want to be a conscious consumer. So I try and buy local as much as I can, specifically Canadian products as much as I can. Um, but really thinking about when I'm shopping, um, I recommend kind of look into where the head office is for the company you're trying to buy from if they're from the U.S. And if they're headquartered in a state that abortion is illegal in, they are paying taxes in that state. And the goal would maybe be that if a really, really big company started losing sales because people were refusing to buy their products because they're in that state, they can basically push back a little bit and say, no, I'm going to take my headquarters out of this state unless something changes. No, it's not foolproof. It might change nothing at the end of the day, but at least the effort is still there. And honestly, at the end of the day, like, I don't want to be giving my money indirectly to those states regardless. Um, So I hope this podcast episode makes you think a little bit and can hopefully drive a conversation. Um, And I look forward to talking about something just a little bit lighter next week.